Morning, all. Morning to those of you watching online as well. We are at the final uh, message of this series, seven weeks, introduced by that video. Uh, really, it's the first part, part one of a long study in 1 Corinthians, which we'll pick back up in January. Uh, but we're going to go change gears, as John and Alyssa just said, for the next four weeks, looking at sharing the gospel, being sent, God sending you, God sending me. But we will come back to this. But today's the, the last message on this first four chapters. will be at the end of chapter four or near the end of chapter four. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can open up, turn it on, 1 Corinthians, New Testament letter, chapter four, where we more or less left off last Sunday. Final message in this series titled, Seeing All of Life Through the Gospel. Okay, seeing all of life through the gospel. The first four chapters, you might say, if you look at the whole book, if you were to read it, sit down and read it in an afternoon, you might say is an introduction by the Apostle Paul. And how do we know that? You know, because when he gets to, we'll see this in January, he gets into the middle of the letter and he says, Now, concerning the matters of which you wrote to me about, and then he talks about what they were. So you can tell that the Apostle Paul writes this letter, right? It's become Holy Scripture for us, but it was a very practical letter when it was written, right? In the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing in response to a letter that was written to him about very practical matters, you know? I mean, sexuality and spending money and going to court and, and how to worship and all kinds of issues that come up in this book. But he says, before he gets to those issues... Right, which is the heart of the book in some ways, before he really addresses the problems, a good way of thinking about um, our own lives, maybe parenting and other ways in which we um, try to help and, and encourage people, before he gets to the problems, he wants to lay the foundation for the solutions to the problems. He wants to have something to be able to go to uh, before he addresses these problems. And we've been talking about that, and we're going to finish it this morning, which is the gospel. Now, what have we said up to this point, if you've been listening in this series? The gospel is, the Apostle Paul would say, it's the power of God. It's not just the, the way in which you and I receive the forgiveness of sins, which is used, but the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the wisdom of God. The gospel is the only lasting foundation upon which to build your life. We talked about in chapter 3, right? You want to build your life on something that will last? You're going to do that on the foundation. No other foundation can be laid than the one that has been laid, chapter 3, which is Jesus Christ himself. What he's talking about there is the gospel itself, okay? So the gospel is the, the power of God in your life today. The gospel is the wisdom of God. It's the only lasting foundation for life. And in this final section, and this calls this extended introduction, he's going to talk about what the gospel looks like, the gospel as your life, right? What does the gospel look like or what could it look like as your life? And he's going to use himself, the Apostle Paul, as an example. He's going to try the best he can to say, listen, you know, imitate me. Let me tell you what the gospel should look like if it's not just an intellectual exercise, if it's not just a series of ideas, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The power of God has actually gotten a hold of your heart, has captured your imagination, and is now working itself out in your life, okay? The gospel as your 
life. So follow along as I read these verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, picking up where we left off last week, verses 6 through 13. Now, brothers and sisters, okay? It's important to know he's talking to Christians here in this congregation. I have applied these things, many things he's talked about, to myself, right? I'm the example in a manner of speaking. And Apollos, another teacher, for your benefit, so that you might learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up, word he's used before, in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? This is the gospel. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it, right? Already, now he's being a little bit sarcastic, okay? So I don't, I don't think I've heard too many sermons on this, but here we go, okay? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You already have begun to reign. And without us, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put the apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Wow, what a statement, okay? The gospel as your life. Three things I want you to think about, about your life, my life, right? The gospel as your life, what it's supposed to do, what I hope it is doing in my life, what I hope it is doing in your life. First thing the apostle Paul wants to say is the gospel is success redefined, okay? Success redefined, Many people in the church, many people in this church, believed the gospel. Brothers and sisters. I think he uses that term three or four or five times so far in the letter. He's making a point. He wants to make sure that he knows, that they, that, that they know, I should say, that he knows they're Christians. Right? This isn't an evangelism message. He is writing to a congregation. Many of the people in this congregation, it's about five years between the time he started this church and the time they got this letter, he personally led them to faith in Jesus Christ. He knows their names. Okay? Brothers and sisters, many in this church believe in the gospel, but they had not submitted their lives to the gospel. Right? They hadn't opened their minds, opened their intellect, opened their emotions, opened their family, opened their hearts to the gospel for the gospel to do a greater work of redemption. So they were believers, brothers and sisters, but they'd not submitted their lives to it. Instead, they'd linked the gospel to beliefs and aspirations in the surrounding culture, Right? As we do this, this is kind of the reason, one of the reasons I chose this book. I think it's so relevant for our lives. They were, they were um, 
focused, they were obsessed with success, personal success, right? Professional success. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos, right? I'm a great orator. Paul, you're, we're, not sure, we're not so sure we want to follow you because you're not a very good communicator. We like these celebrity uh, pastors a little bit better than you, right? They had linked their beliefs and aspirations, right? Christianity had become a way of personal advancement, of personal, um, you know, a, a way to, incre- to, to increase their own sort of um, brand, right? right? It's very popular in our day. And Paul's saying, listen, there's a problem when you do that. We might call it today the prosperity gospel, okay? Some of us are familiar with that, some of us aren't. Already you have everything you want. Already you have become rich. Already you have, beco- you have begun to reign, right? He's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, th- th- that actually wasn't true, okay? That's what they were saying about themselves, but what we learned, if you read this book with us, chapter one, when he opens this book, he says to the Corinthians, he says, listen, not many of you are wise by the world's standards, chapter one, verse 26, not many of you are of noble birth. Not many of you, you know, are, you're, you're not the who's who, right? So they actually weren't wealthy. They actually weren't he said, uh, uh, of noble birth. They were actually, but they were deeply misguided about the nature of the Christian faith. Listen, to follow Jesus Christ is not to pursue a successful life by the world's standards, Right? That's not what it's about. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Think of the Apostle Paul himself. I am going to use myself. I'm going to apply these things to myself for your benefit. The Apostle Paul, if you're a note taker, uh, Philippians chapter 3, when he gives his personal testimony, he said, listen, I was a who's who. If there was a who's who book written in the, in, the, in the first century, in the Middle East there in Jerusalem, the center of power, the Apostle Paul's name would have been on it. And he gives you his resume there. I went to the best schools. I went to the best um, places. I was trained. I was a protege. It's my paraphrase. Paul was one of these people who, who succeed. You know, these people who succeed really early in academics, really early in, in the arts, really early in, in some kind of profession. You know, they, they reach the peak of their profession before other people do. He was one of those people. Philippians chapter 3. Paul had a very successful life by the world's standards, but he left it all behind. Whatever were gains to me, I considered them loss. I had no problem. It wasn't a hard struggle for me. I considered them loss for the surpassing uh, worth, value of knowing the gospel and what it did in my life, right? Is that your story? Is that mine? He said, listen, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't pulled and he didn't grudge his way into service of the kingdom of God. He understood the power of the gospel. It had done such a powerful work of liberation in his own heart. It had opened his eyes. He understood the forgiveness of sin in the deepest part of who he was. He saw the whole world differently and it was nothing for him to lay down his CV, to lay down all of his accomplishments. He said, I saw them, I have a sur- the surpassing worth of, of, of following Christ, of knowing the gospel. These things to me, Philippians, they have become like garbage, like dung, I think the King James Version says. He had no problem. Success was re- 
defined, right? He's asking these questions to himself. What do you have that you did not receive? He's saying saying about himself, listen, everything that's important in my life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gave it to me. Even my gifts and my talents, Paul will say, God gave them to me. I have no pride. Why then, if I received them, if you've received them, do you boast as if you did not? He experienced the gospel. He realized that everything he had had been given to him. His zip code, the family he was born in, and certainly the forgiveness of sin. True success, okay? Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Where Paul's trying to lay the foundation. True success is knowing who you are, what do you have that you did not receive, and that all you have been given right, is a gift to appreciate, to use humbly and wisely in the service of others. And listen, that's not just for Christians. Certainly as a Christian I should know that. But it's not just for Christian. It's the way God has designed human life, which is why so many people in our, quote, success-driven culture, okay, are so dissatisfied, right? You don't just have to be a Christian to understand this, that the things the world offers for success, they're empty. I came across this recently. J.K. Rowling, many of you know her, you should know the name anyway, the woman who, talk about a story, 30 years old, single mom, you know, uh, you know, living with uh, family members and writes the, uh, the first of, I don't know how many Harry Potter books and becomes a huge success beyond imagination, right? I think her total books, I, I read this somewhere, they have, the, the, her books, the, the Harry Potter books, are the largest selling series of books, wait for it, in the history of publishing. Must mean more than Shakespeare. I don't know, but that's what I read. All right, hundreds of millions of books. In 20, 2008, she gave a um, a talk, uh, a uh, a commencement speak, Harvard University, and she said, "Let me tell you the secret." She talked about failure and success. "Quote: So why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Because failure means the stripping away of the non-essentials." She sent her first book to 12, you've heard this kind of before in writers, to 12 different publishers. They all rejected it. Dumb idea, right? Okay. <laughs> Failure taught me things that I would have never learned any other way. You will never truly know yourself or your ability to survive or the strength of your relationships unless both have been tested by adversity. Such knowledge is a true gift, a true gift. For all that is painfully won and has been more precious than any qualification that I have earned. Listen to this line. Personal happiness in life. This could be the Apostle Paul or Jesus. This happens to be a a contemporary. Personal happiness in life is not an acquisition. It's not an achievement. It's not your CV. That is your resume. These are not your life, although many of us confuse the two. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Those things I considered of, of, of tremendous value that I had given my life to, I realized they were not where life, the meaning of life was found. Right? 
and I went for the gospel which was of, of surpassing worth. Do you believe that? Do I believe that, right? The gospel, yes, it's the power of God. Yes, it's the wisdom of God. There's nothing else upon which you should build your life on. Are you building your life on it? Am I building my life on it? Well, one of the questions Paul's saying is, listen, how do you define success, right? If, if the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken hold in your life, success will be redefined. Second thing this passage tells us, power will be redefined. Power will be redefined. Where the Apostle Paul once used power against others to advance his own desires, he now chose to lay it aside for the sake of others. What am I talking about? Uh, Alyssa Matz mentioned that in that video. Here the Apostle Paul, right? He had a very successful life. In this culture, anyway, we're talking 2,000 years ago, he would have been at the top of the, of, the, uh, of the people who were scholars and religious leaders, of which he was both, a member of the Sanhedrin. They were the, I don't know what they would be the equivalent of, of, of the who's who, okay? There was no Wall Street back 2,000 years ago. This would have been at the top. He had very success. He, he, was, he was bilingual. He was a very smart man. He had the respect of the people. Okay, in power. But he let it all go away. He let it, he, he put it down. He, he'd spent his whole life distancing himself from certain people that now he were people he was called to serve and to love. Who were they? The pagan Gentiles that he's writing to. Not many wise, not many noble, not many of you were, were wise by human standards. None of you, for the most part, we're in the who's who. I wouldn't have spent five minutes with you. But now that Christ has changed my life, he's called to love them and to serve them, right? And he uses this image. I could spend a whole hour on this image. Verse 9. He's trying to make a point. And he uses something. He paints a word picture that, would, that doesn't mean a lot to you and me, but it would have tremendous impact on this congregation. Listen carefully. Verse 9. For it seems to me I love that. For it seems to me that God has put us, apostles, on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. In the arena. Now what's he talking about? They would have known exactly what he's talking about. In the Roman Empire, Corinth was part of the Roman Empire. Had been for, for uh, probably 50, no, almost 100 years by the time the Apostle Paul was there. Not far from the city of Rome. When the Roman Empire, which was the dominant political force in the time of Jesus before and after, in the Roman Empire, when they would go out and fight battles, right? There was no internet. They didn't have any CNN. They would come back into cities like Corinth, like Rome, and they would have these parades. They would have these processions. And at the front of these processions, of course, were the generals, maybe some of the political leaders, maybe at some times, if it was Rome, the emperor himself. And it would go back and down into the different uh, regiments and the soldiers. And at the very, very end of the procession were the prisoners that had been taken from wherever they fought. And these prisoners very often would be, have chains on their wrists or uh, uh, irons on their legs. They would be at the very end. They were the victory. They were the sign of victory. And very often, those particular prisoners, the, 
at the end of the procession were condemned to die in the arena. Okay? There were many arenas. The great Roman Colosseum was probably not built when this letter was written, but was probably built within 10 or 20 years of the time this letter was written. The Apostle Paul saying, listen, that's who we are. I had spent my whole life trying to associate myself with power. Philippians chapter 3. I, when Jesus Christ changed my life, everything flipped upside down. I realized that this is where God has placed me. Now we, as the apostles, we are like, it's a, meta, it's a simile, we are like those at the end of the procession. Not at the front, not in the power seat, not in the victory seat, but we are like the prisoners that are at the end. That's how I see myself. Is that how you see yourself? Now, why does he use that image? For at least two reasons. One, of course, he's identifying with Jesus himself. Jesus said, listen, if they hated you, right? Talking about when Jesus is talking to his disciples, they hated me first. So there's some sense in which we identify, right, the opposite of the world's success, the opposite of the world's appra- approval, the opposite of, of, of the world's kind of um, embrace because the world is, 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 is um, often at war with the things of God, right? They crucified Jesus. So in one sense, Paul's saying, I'm identifying with Jesus. But he is also, this is what we're called to do, to be like Jesus, to identify with people who have been condemned, where I chose to identify with people who are hurting. Jesus Christ came into the world, right? He didn't come, you know, uh, uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He grew up in, a, in Galilee. His mother, he, he, was, he was under a cloud. His father was a carpenter, okay? This is all part of the story. Jesus Christ came to identify with the least of these so that nobody would be left out. You see, that's what I've called you to do. The gospel is supposed to redefine power in your life. You, some of you guys know, because you've listened to me for some years, I spent a year in uh, Kosovo. I was just there again last summer. John and Alyssa mentioned mission trips. I'm going to try to go again this next summer. Um, God's really done a work in my heart. But what was so special about that trip, and I would say in some ways, that one year, I've been there many times, but I spent here, it really, it helped shift some things in my heart when I try to understood what is the ministry really about? What does it really mean to be a Christian? I was there probably a week or two, all full of enthusiasm, all full of, you know, all these big ideas of how I was going to come and make a difference to the people in this community. And one of the first things I did, it was the dead of winter. We were, it was, we were, trying to, we were bringing stoves and warm clothes. And I went into this village, into this house by my you know, my, my partner, my guy, the people that are helping me out. And in this house, was, it was full of grieving women, right? Grieving women who all had lost. This is not a picture of the exact women. This is probably taken a month later. Maybe there's some, some faces were in that room. But I was in a room with all these women who had lost a husband, lost a brother, lost a father, and I didn't speak their language. They didn't speak mine. I did have a translator. But what could you possibly say? And I might have only been there for an hour, but I have never been in a place full of so much sadness in my life. Okay? And we just sat there as they wept, 
And in their hands, they all had photographs, okay, of their dead brother, their dead father, their dead um, uncle. And I remember thinking, I've never felt this kind of sadness, but when I left that place, something had changed in my heart, something deep. And God said, listen, I know you came here with all these great things that you wanted to do, right? But it starts right here. I want you to identify with the pain in this room. That's what I've called you to do, okay? This is what God's called all of us to do. That's what Paul's saying. God, I believe God. It seems to me that God has put us Right? Not in the positions of power, but like those condemned to die in the arena. We have all been called. What's the point? To love people no one else loves. To care about people no one else cares about. And in the process, okay, to do our best, to point them to faith in God, to point them to a relationship in Jesus Christ. Let me say this about my life. Maybe this is true of your life. I don't have to go even beyond my own family to find people like that. My own blood family. I don't have to go too far uh, beyond my own neighborhood to find people like that. Certainly beyond my own community, speaking of send me. Yes, by all means, uh, let's get some people to uh, uh, far corners of the earth. But there are people in this community that we live in, the communities that we live in. They might drive a nice car. They're hurting. They're broken. Okay? They're in deep pain. And God says, listen, that's where I'm calling you to go. That's where he's calling me to go. The gospel, as your life, success redefined. Second, power redefined power redefined and third it's relationships redefined listen to these words final few words of this sermon this morning i am writing this not to shame you but to warn you so what why does he say shame you because this is full of sarcasm right i mean you get that right already you have everything you want already you've become rich oh you know no you haven't I wish that you were rich, but you've completely misunderstood the Christian life. You, you're Christians, but you've been following, you know, the, the, this, this sort of lie, this narrative that, you know, to, that, that to be a Christian means your life's going to go up and to the right. You're confusing um, um, earth for heaven. We are here today. There is going to be a day. When every, when, uh, you know, when, when the, what the eye has not seen, what the ear has not heard, it has not entered into the, the mind of man, the things that God has prepared for him that love him. Psalm 16, 11, there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Those days are coming. There is a beautiful place called heaven. There is a beautiful place called the kingdom of God. But that's not what today's about. Jesus Christ came here on a rescue mission to identify with the hurting and the broken. He's saying, listen, that starts with you. What do you have that you've not received? Nothing. Then why do you talk about like you have? You've been, everything you've been given is a gift. You hold it as a trust. Now, now quit, chase, quit wasting your precious days chasing the world's success. It's going to burn up. It means nothing. Right? J.K. Rowling, what are you kidding? That, that's a lie. 
It's not achievement. It's not acquisition. It's not your CV. These are not your life. Although many people confuse the two, right? Maybe that's the the application for you or me today. You've been chasing the wrong things as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why you're unhappy. That's why you don't have the joy of the Lord. Success redefined. How about power redefined? Right? Who are you identifying with? Who are the broken people in your own family, in your own life, in your own neighborhood? Are you loving them, praying for them, moving toward them? Right? We are like the, it seems to me that we're, we're like the, 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 those condemned to die in the arena. Right? Relationships redefined. Where was I? I am writing this to you not to shame you, but to warn you. As my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, even if you listen to the best preachers on the internet and, and, and social media or whatever, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. It's a bold statement, you know. It's like parents or children or disciples. It's, a lot of us don't want to say that. Do what I do, not what I, you know, do what I say, not what I do. But Paul says, no, listen, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love. He's been following me. He's been imitating me in a manner of speaking. Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. What does Paul mean when he says, imitate me? Let me just read half a verse that we just read. When we are cursed, we bless. Verse 12. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. I thought about that verse. Is that me? When I am cursed... Do I bless? When I am persecuted for whatever kinds of ways, do I complain about it? Do I get defensive about it? Do I moan and groan and say, I don't deserve it, or do I endure it? When I am slandered, okay, do I answer kindly? I'm sure Paul was thinking of these words from Jesus himself. Think about these words. Relationships redefined. Do I live this way? Starting with my brothers and sisters in Christ, but to all people. But to you who are listening, this is Jesus, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We are like the End of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. If someone slaps you on one cheek, this was a common way of of shaming people in in this culture, not in ours, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Husbands, wives, dads, moms, neighbors, people in your office, people in your... Do you live that way? Do I live that way? This is what he's saying. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul wasn't perfect. 
but he put himself out there. It's success redefined. It's power redefined. It's relationships redefined. Let me say this. There will always be famous Christians who fail. You know, and it's sad. I mean, some of you know this more than others. It depends how much you pay attention to these matters, but as a professional Christian of a kind, you know, a pastor, I pay attention to these things. But um, there's a lot, even in our own day, last five years, I mean, I could tick off the names right now with you. Some of you would know these names, some of you wouldn't. It's deeply, deeply sad. Professional, uh, you know, well-known, uh, famous, I should say, famous Christians, pastors, music people, etc., who fail many in our own day. But let me say this. Most of them, most of them will not have a great impact on your life because you don't really know them. It's a sad moment, some more than others. Most of them will not have a great impact on your life. But for those who are closest to you, your mom, your dad, the person in your small group, you know, your friend, for most who are close to you, the impact is great. What they do matters. It's of great importance. That's what Paul's saying, right? It's of great importance. People are looking to you. People are looking to me. The people in your life, in your small group, in your community, right? So they can see and understand what the gospel looks like. So what's our application as in this closing, opening uh, uh, sermon? Some of us, we've been, you know, as Thomas Merton said, I've been climbing my life, I've been climbing a ladder my whole life and only realized late it was leaning against the wrong wall, okay? <laughs> I mean, some of us, um, we've been, even as followers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, we've been chasing the wrong things. It's time to repent and, and, and redefine success. That's your application. For some of us, it's power redefined, okay? Listen, God is calling you. He's calling me. Maybe this is an extreme metaphor. You know, we are like those condemned to die in the arena. But Paul's making a point. It's like I was sitting in that room with those people and I thought, what am I doing here? Right? This is, this is painful. This is difficult. Why am I even here? And as I drove away, thought about it, God said, because I want, this is where I am. Right? Matthew 25, when you look at the least of these, right, that's where you're going to find me. Right. Who are those people in your life? In your com- you don't have to go, as Alyssa said, on an airplane to get there. Maybe you need to look to le- your left or your right in this room or in your neighborhood. Relationships redefined. Some of us need to dis- realize today, change your mind today, that the people in your life, your kids, your spouse, the people around you, God has called you to be a model to them. Amen? All right. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. And Lord, the, both the challenge, but Lord, the blessing to know that everything I need in life, everything we need in life, we have been given. What do you have that you've not received? The answer to the question is nothing. In him, we have been enriched in every way. We have been given in Jesus Christ the resources not only to see our own hearts renewed 
our own sins forgiven, our own minds reframed. But Lord, we've been given the resources to be many Christs, to move towards people, Lord, that need us, that need love, that need um, um, grace, and to be your instrument. Lord, help us to change where we need to change, to repent where we need to repent, and to be men and women, young and old, who have not only believed the gospel, but have allowed it to transform our lives in meaningful ways. Help us even now, Lord, to to hear your voice, to hear your calling, that we might do what you want us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, friends, uh, men, women, friends, have a great Sunday. And last thing I want to say this. If you're new to the church, uh, this church, this church community, as I think uh, John might have said at the beginning, but all of you weren't here, we'd love to get to know you. Right as you walk outside these doors, um, there's a table. There's some friends there. Just say hello. They have a gift for you, but mainly just want to help put some information about Browncroft into your hands. Amen? Have a great Sunday.